Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast. And for the next 20 minutes or so, you'll find the two of us talking about mass at the moment in and around the hotel investment space. My name is Chris Bound, the editor of Hotel Analyst, and I'm joined as usual by Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst for this. What might be, no, might not be our last podcast of the year. We might be doing another one next week. Um, so let's start off by taking a look at uh, what's going on uh, in the investment space, particularly with people who are finding new ways to draw together investors uh, for hotel deals. This comes at a time when we are seeing some of the bigger investors in hotel real estate, particularly uh, some of the funds managed by private equity, but also by the big investment uh, management outfits, are starting to uh, batten down the hatches. They're not spending money on buying so many uh, hotel assets at the moment. In fact, uh, just this week, we've got news of uh, one or two of them having to sell up rather quickly because they need to manage the redemption demand uh, from their funds. And uh, one particular hotel in London we hear is uh, up for grabs or just about to be sold for that very reason. But meantime, uh, a whole raft of other people are looking at uh, different ways to pull together uh, funds for, for investment in hotels. There's French investment manager Eternam, which has done rather well in, in creating club deals, which allow people with as little as a quarter of a million euros to get involved in, in buying a hotel in a group deal. Uh, we're also seeing some crowdfunding activity uh, in in the States and uh, an interesting approach from the Icelandic group Legendary Hotels and Resorts who are looking to buy a hotel in Portugal and uh, in doing so the investors who come in alongside them have the potential to get themselves a, a golden passport or a golden visa so they can then become Portuguese citizens in due course. So some interesting new routes to market just as the uh, the famous wall of money is on hold. Now when I was a trainee journalist list um which is a long while ago um Mm -hmm. the guardian used to run editorials which was uh, which were widely mocked they um and the reason for that was um they they were seen as you know that they would approach an issue and say on one hand there's all this and then they'd say on the other hand and it's sort of the very definition of sort of sitting on the fence and not (laughs) having a point of view and this 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 is where the the humor in that was that there was never any sort of clear well which one are you preferring which is the whole point of a of an editorial i would argue um and at, we are sort of <laughs> guilty of producing this same thing as we're saying look there, there's problems here with open-ended funds which have got issues and there's problems too with private equity which are, are struggling to deploy but on the other hand we've got a situation um in which um you know new opportunities new types of investors are lining up to to leap on 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 things that are going to be available um and uh, i i actually think that well there's two parts to this firstly i think the, the the bit about the doom and gloom with regard to private equity with regard to those open-ended funds is a little bit over-egged i think there's a few challenges there but that's the the nature of them. whenever you have a bit of dislocation which we clearly have in terms of these sharp interest rate rises i mean i'm i'm to be honest, I'm slightly surprised there's not more dislocation than we see at the moment in the market, given the, the shock to the system that the interest rate rises are creating. Because at the end of the day, if you know you hold everything else equal, if your debt costs go spiralling upwards, which it has, I mean, this is, you know, from virtually nothing to 
um, uh, you know, four, five percent, six percent, seven percent, depending on the sort of deal you do, um, and and beyond. Um, you, what you've got is 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 a, a big challenge on your hands, and and in fact, the yields inevitably are going to have to go up. Um, to compensate to get the same level of return and of course yields going up all other things being equal uh, prices must come down um, we're not really seeing prices uh, fall I mean I think that we'll have, have to have a little bit of that over the next couple of years but there doesn't seem to be any sense of that we're, you know, the wheels are really coming off and there's a total bear market for hotel property assets at the moment we're not seeing that um, so I um, so I think we have got this Guardian, you know, old days of the Guardian editorial, you know, <laughs> modern days, it would be complete woke nonsense, probably, um, unfortunately, <laughs> in the Guardian. But uh, anyway, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm remaining optimistic. And, um, it, you know, Pollyanna is um, the, the infamous characterization of uh, somebody who's overly optimistic and i suppose there is a, a level of of um you know guilt on my part um around that but uh, i'm going to maintain this optimism i'm looking at the numbers at the moment and what i do see is inflation peaking um and with inflation peaking that means the rate rising cycle we're in at the moment is also going to um, come to an end so we're at the point now where i i you know you know bigger brains than mine are seeing that well we're probably gonna um see the rate cycle ending by easter certainly by the the second quarter of next year um and, and this means that we're gonna have uh you know uh, things are gonna settle down this you know private equity will just sort of adjust to the new world outlook and they will resume their deal doing um and certainly my one of my go-to economic research houses bca um what they're saying is look you know we, we're not entirely sure which way it's going to go it could be that the first half of next year looks uh, a lot better than many people fear and that seems to be their sort of base view um, but it'll be tougher than in the second half and in fact they're predicting a, a modest recession in the US in 2024 but very 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 uh, shallow recession um, so um, but on the other hand the sort of minority view within BCA by some of their analysts is that actually it's going to be a very tough first half but then a better second half so it's going to be you know a not easy 2023 um, whichever way you want to look at it but certainly not a disaster um and uh, you know if, if you want to take comfort from it you know um look at those um um inflation figures so they are they do seem to be peaking now it could all change we could see um the wage price spiral which is something that economists are worrying about if if we get that um you know inflation is embedded it's going to be a much bigger challenge so we have to be careful about how you know watch that and you know keep our fingers crossed we don't get that but if we don't get that then i think we're we're going to be we're going to be fine so just looking at the uk numbers um you know cpih which is the uh, consumer price inflation with housing costs the most robust measure i mean that dropped uh, 30 basis points month on month in for the for november um <clears throat> the big challenge is going to be maintaining um margin um for hoteliers this is 
primarily going to be driven because we're seeing energy costs falling it's going to be driven by how much labor costs go up and certainly the office for national statistics are saying labor costs in this big area retailing hotels wholesaling retailing hotels and restaurants that was one of the highest rises yet again in the latest monthly uh, figures um, that the, the covers a three-month period um, august to october and that was up 6.6 percent um, whereas the average wage growth across all industries all sectors was 6.1 percent so we've got this you know bigger wage pressure in our sector and certainly the ons look at uh, the hospitality sector and see that as being one of the biggest contributors to current inflation so we've got you know it's a tricky area at the moment where we are but there are reasons to maintain optimism and i finished with the piece i wrote for for uh, perspective uh, this week um with a quote from pollyanna and uh, there is something about everything that you can be glad about if you keep hunting long enough to find it for that now then uh, we're going to talk next about what's going on in the uk pub market pubs with rooms are a thing which seem to be quietly getting uh, bigger and bigger in the business and uh, speaking to agents involved with uh, this this sort of market of pubs with rooms uh, they're telling me that it's really because there's continuing margin pressure on uh, on drink and on food and beverage and it leaves those who run pubs uh, thinking well actually the whole business of um, adding a few rooms uh, looks like quite a, a low effort high margin business compared to all this effort of trying to find enough staff to run the restaurant and serve the pints uh, so it's quite a hot uh, area at the moment apparently if you've got a decent pub with some decent letting rooms you will have uh, people beating a path to your door to purchase it from you uh, should you want to sell uh, because you've got uh, you've got people like the in collection building a bigger and bigger portfolio and these private equity, equity backed groups uh, are on a, on a big acquisition trail they're looking like this is a great opportunity to get into this market and in fact in collections even gone so far recently as to purchase a an out and out hotel to add to their collection um, others busily at this are red cat and also brasserie barco which has been uh, uh, backed by alchemy partners um, and is on the on the acquisition trail too so uh, more room at the inn now chris um we're coming up to christmas what's the what name me one of the cliched christmas gifts that that you your auntie or whatever would would give you gun what what sort of thing what would it be Ooh, um uh, i don't know a smelly candle mm, yeah okay. socks okay socks i want to talk about socks i want to talk about socks so first off let's talk about the pub thing mm -hmm. and any regular listeners of this podcast will know i have a background in pubs um, um i worked for the campaign for real ale for three years just over three years um i like my beer and i do like pubs as a result of that and um my i, I would argue that pubs have the potential to be the ultimate affordable boutique hotel experience um unfortunately i think in most cases they get it dreadfully wrong um and they don't 
do that particularly well um now why is that what what are they doing that's wrong well one of the things i feel slightly guilty for at the campaign for real ale i i spent all my time um not all my time but a lot of my time pulling together their price of beer survey um and the, they were obsessive about you know we've got to hold the price of beer and you know there's a contradiction here at the heart of it here you've got a handcrafted um product which is very difficult to keep much harder work than the fizzy lagers and yet they're insisting that they're sold at a lower price than um these you know mass produced yuck fests which are you know the the, the fizzy lagers um and how you know it's nonsense to try and say that you have to have a lower price for that that much better product it's 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 not what pricing is about it's not the right signal to send and i think the pubs themselves are guilty of this um certainly the better ones ought to be charging a lot more money uh, for what they're offering um and this is where i bring in socks so there is a academic um at bristol university is a professor of economics is also linked to the london school of economics richard davies and he's got the longest running price data um in, in the uk um goes and um i, I did a presentation on this uh, 18 months ago actually um and it, and it, it looks at from 1990 to 2020 so 30 years worth of data on what goes on across a range of different consumer goods um, socks is one of those wow. items and another one pub meals now what you get for socks is the range in prices so back in 1990 it ranged from about one pound to three pounds and 2020 it went from one pounds to one pound to ten pounds so you've got this this widening of the dispersion um so now you've got a situation where if you buy the cheapest pair um and then go and buy you know if you want to buy the most expensive pair it's 10 times more expensive um but with pub meals over that same period the gap between the most expensive and the cheapest um over all the prices have moved up um, um <clears throat> they haven't had the disinflation effect from cheap chinese manufacturing in pub meals um that overall that gap between the cheapest and the most expensive has narrowed and i would argue that is not what ought to be happening for proper experienced businesses they ought to be charging a lot more money uh, particularly at the top end and i think there is a gap here for that to deliver a proper unique boutique experience and what we've seen as we come out of this um, covid nonsense covid lockdown nonsense is that uh, people are very you know are very wedded to their hospitality experience and experiences and are prepared to pay more money for them and if you've got the right product and you're marketing it the right selling it the right way you ought to be able to get um, more cash for it and i think there's a big big problem here for that because i think you know if you've got a lovely boutique hotel e experience geared around the pub so <clears throat> one of my my <laughs> that's how sad i am chris but i had one of my favorite experiences when we moved office up up here to cambridge i had to stay overnight um um in london at, um in, in a pub i chose to stay at a pub in our um 
um, near, next to our old office and one of my favorite things I was able to sit in bed watching telly with a pint of real ale now that was just fantastic <laughs> so it's just something you can't really do easily at home because I mean real ale is something that's very difficult to consume um, at home um, because you know the the nature of it how it how it's supplied etc it's quite tricky so it was just you know that that was just wonderful to be able to do that and that 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 pub experience was great getting up in the morning you know you had that that smell of a sort of cleaned but still that 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 beery smell was still lingering when you went down for breakfast it was a nice you know the whole thing was you know it's a proper proper pub if you know what i mean it's uh you know with the wooden floors and all this kind of stuff um so and, and it, it just added to that and it was it was lovely um and you know i am prepared to pay a lot more for that than i would be um say staying at the premier inn but or the in fact that the, the the alternative was a holiday and express um just up the road um and but the the pub was cheaper than the express mm. which you know just didn't make sense to me um because that experience was just so much better now i admit there's not many people who are going to get excited about drinking a pint of real ale in bed and waking up to have that slight whiff of of you know that not unpleasant <laughs> smell but that, that you know that that's that that slight whiff in the morning for the the beery smell um but you know <laughs> i'm sure there is a market there and it is a unique and special thing um and i just don't think it's packaged properly um sold well enough and i think you had uh what's that uh, uh sort of kind of like an ota isn't it for oh, roots, oh stay in a pubs yeah stay in a pub yeah. yeah um you know making an effort to sell those and i think you know more power to their elbow i think because it is a very special thing especially for the uh, uk inbound market mm. um so let's have a bit more of that um and i think there is potential to, to do that now we've had a year in which we've all got used to uh, business building back up but things have changed during the pandemic have they flipped back uh, is the new uh, the new normal looking much more increasingly more like the old normal uh, or are there some fundamental changes uh, there's been one or two people have been trying to read the runes on this recently uh, putting out um, research on what they find when they canvass consumers Expedia is in a very good position because they see a lot of data online of course and they put out some some of their thoughts recently we've also had some research sponsored by the extended say group eden and th some of the stuff they're picking out is is kind of how particularly younger generations looking to stay longer now than they would have done prior to the pandemic um and also looking at kind of again this reinforcing the the fact that people are looking for experiences uh, and they're looking for more flexibility maybe to take a bit of work with them do a bit of work either end of their their leisure stay or perhaps mix it in along the way and these uh, issues are all issues that perhaps the hospitality sector and hotels in particular need to bear in mind as they plan what they offer in terms of accommodation, what they offer in terms of support services and how they plan the growth of their portfolios in future. I, I think overall, what, what can we say? Looking back um, you know, to March 2020, the horror show that was COVID and this whole array of the world's never going to be the same again kind of um, uh, predictions. Um, and 
most of them were spectacularly wrong i mean you've got the likes of bill gates saying we're going to have 50 percent less business travel well uh, that was uh, just as bad as his original version of windows <laughs> i think in terms of the the the, 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 the predictions um a truly awful um uh, prediction and and fortunately for for our sector spectacularly wrong um now if you look at the the numbers i, I dove into the um world tourism organization numbers um and they've got most of 22 up to about september um and it it's we are uh, uh, you know most of the way back there are some areas in the middle east for example is now exceeding what um, where it was in 2019 we're a little way behind in western europe actually western europe is the, one of the strongest bits um of, of the world ahead of um, the much touted north mm. america the americans are usually seen as a uh, leading the way but uh, the wto the un wto numbers show uh um, overall this is volume of tourist arrivals so international tourist arrivals um so in that not in that nine months bit it's sort of about a third down 33.8 percent down for that first nine months in western europe it's down 12 percent so actually this the recovery has been stronger in in western europe from the international arrivals bit i think there's a little bit of uh, bias in there because it is the intercontinental travel bit which is taking the longest to come back actually so there is a little bit of a uh, so whereas obviously if you can f flip over the border from um, france to spain or what have you um that's counted as an international tourist arrival and, and so therefore and that you know that inter inter um the, the travel within a continent has come back a lot quicker um and we've certainly seen that in in europe um but anyway so the the point i'm making is that uh, you know we have got most of the way back um and unless you're a real bear i think you, you would accept that we're probably over the next year going to get all of the way back and 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 then some hopefully um so it's it, it does it does actually on that bit rank uh, north america then uh europe um, and the middle east um and then lagging is latin america africa and asia pac um it's particularly the case if you look at iata the airline body uh, look at their numbers um they're they're saying um north america is probably from an airline perspective already profitable they're back in business and they're predicting europe and the middle east will get back to profitability in the coming year um probably for the the other continents i mentioned it's 2024 before we uh, get back to profitability but but this is all tailwinds i think for our recovery piece because we've still got those bits coming in um we're doing darn well we're already breaking revpar records as it is but once these bits come in unless you believe that you know we're not going to get that but every signs are every sign that's we've seen as as switch to saying yes we're going to get back to those sort of levels of business so we're and i think overall the conclusion i take from the horror show that was covid um is that travel tourism and hospitality is a much more re resilient industry than was generally believed before lock before those covid lockdowns um and i think that's a good news story to take to market as we uh, seek new investors in our sector and say look we, you know we're going to be okay you you know 
try and imagine a worse situation than what we've just been through um in covid and i think it's you just can't really um um and so you know unless it's um all-out nuclear war in which any investment is <laughs> for irrelevant but um but in 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 terms of so we can come back from such um a difficult place and become back very quickly and become profitable again very quickly we're a great place um to invest and we're growing much faster than most other areas of the economy um so i think this is the story um of of the last two years and the story that we should very proudly shout about as a sector okay now let's move on to our five star and no star awards of the week and five stars andrew are going to uh, what looks like a cracking deal yes um that that's the uh the the sale to schroders um of a couple of um uh um properties um owned by ennismore um well owned <clears throat> not quite sure of um what the ownership structure there was whether um sharan pashrika actually owned them directly um through another vehicle or whether they were actually within ennismore but um that will come out um shortly no doubt um but it's a 230 million pound deal um and it, you know it, it it has been touted as the highest price per room of any european hotel asset um that doesn't have suites so that's quite um you know an institutional investor coming in putting their money on the table at a very good uh you know very good price indeed and i think we've we spoke of that earlier in this podcast so that's super good i'm gonna have a quick quick second extra um right, yes. five star actually chris if i may and and that that's for the uh, visit britain um forecasting increased numbers coming in um for 2023 so i think that's again to what we were just talking about in the in the optimism around the recovery of the sector further and it's no stars that. for a fishy tail in berlin <laughs> Ooh, yes well um <clears throat> dead fish tail mm. um yeah those um poor 1500 or so um so it was yes a million liters, yeah it was a million liters um, of water think, yeah. Uh, it was, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah gosh yeah i mean what a what an absolute shocker actually so um so it was a company was it reynolds i think the company was um that uh, um that uh um own put together reynolds polymer technology built the aquarium at the radisson blue well it wasn't radisson blue anymore it changed to a radisson collection in january um and uh this this huge it was a real landmark feature and and, you know people remember it who've been to ihif it was uh you know they had a very fabulous party there um around it but uh it was a spectacular um collapse and mercifully i mean apart from fish there were no no other deaths there were no human deaths importantly um because it could potentially have been an absolute disaster so um what's gone wrong there i don't know and certainly well apparently this reynolds polymer technology they they've built a number of uh, sky pools as well so it's um i I haven't got a head for heights anyway so i I can't think of anything worse than going for a swim in one of those things but uh, doubly now i think i haven't heard about this tale it's only gonna put um you know i I just i'll just sit there shaking like anything if (laughs) the potential of swimming across one of those so no that that, that's completely out on my bucket list um (laughs) i won't be seeking that one well on that sanitary note we'll say goodbye for now